and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of IRI Growth Insights, where we're continuing a conversation inspired by our recent More Than Meet, M-E-A-T, More Than Meets the Eye webinar, which is available at iriworldwide.com. Today, my colleague, Jonna Parker, principal of IRI's Fresh Center of Excellence, is joined by John Crowder, head of beef marketing at food processor JBS, and Heather DeLuca. Vice President of Meat and Seafood at AWG, that's Associated Wholesale Grocers, the nation's largest cooperative food wholesaler to independently owned supermarkets. So today we're talking a lot about meat um, and no category changed as much as meat, I feel, during the pandemic. We ended up 2021 with $82.2 billion in sales, which is up 45% from 2016. But Jana, I'm going to start with you. Given this inflationary period that we're living in right now, what is the current and future state of meat? The inflationary period is really worth leading with because since December, we've been asking consumers, where are they seeing price increases at the store? And in December, it was the majority of folks were saying beef and pork, followed closely by poultry. Now, as we've gotten through each month, yes, other categories are now catching up, but that perception of meat being higher priced is certainly where it's the headlines. And the reality is, of course, that yes, certain meat cuts, especially the ones we buy most often are where retailers are needing to have that price. We as an industry have dealt with so much in meat over the last two years. You know, we were excited at the Meat Institute uh, last in-person conference, which was at the beginning of 2020, literally a week before shutdown. We were so excited and high-fiving over 2% growth. So when we saw the amount of volume that came to the retail meat industry, there's been so much that the industry has had to do to keep up with that demand. And obviously inflation is real and it's everywhere. So the reality of where we're seeing inflation and its impact on meat is yes, for the first time in the two and a half years I've been tracking who adds the most dollars to the store, beef was not number one this past month, but guess what? Chicken was. And chicken, I'm sure John will have some thoughts on that, but chicken is lower price per pound. So when it comes to solving the meal, meat is still critically important. We're still seeing eight of 10 meals made at home. We're still seeing extreme volume going through the meat department. But I hope as we'll talk about today, and we certainly covered in our webinar, it's different. So of course, I can tell you lots of stats about how the price of meat is up. But I think what's more interesting is the places where even though it's up, people keep buying. And my favorite story in that really quick is during the football playoffs, we saw fresh chicken wings, which are one of the hardest and most expensive labor-intensive products for poultry producers to put on shelf, 
fresh chicken wings did extremely well despite a 20% price increase because that value of someone who really wanted to make their own chicken wings and have their own sauce and do it better than a food service establishment can do it is a huge reason why meat volume is up. And, you know, Heather, I'd love to hear as a retailer, because you're right in the throes of balancing value and trying to keep up with price points for the segment of the population that's watching the ads, as well as trying to capitalize on some of these new consumers. So what are you seeing at AWG as it relates to inflation and meat? Yeah, so much, right? And there's just so much pressure. I think we were all starting, like you said, you know, kind of to get excited about, you know, seeing some some light at the end of the tunnel. And, and now we have some other outside factors as well that are impacting price, whether it's, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and fuel, et cetera, just, just challenge supply. Um, you mentioned chicken, right? And, and chicken and pork. And those are where, you know, as that gap between various proteins becomes bigger, we'll start seeing more of that shift down um, maybe to some other proteins or, you know, better priced um, cuts of meat. You know, we love talking about premium and, you know, the story of ribeyes, for example, or prime and that growth that was there. And and I, I definitely don't want to take focus away from that because as we still have, have shoppers that aren't eating out, right, and those meals are being cooked at home, regardless, it's still a better better price, less spend to eat at home. So we don't want to completely shift away from that. And that's going to be our challenge right now is how do we ensure that um, we have those solutions for the shopper that truly needs to stretch their budget, right? And it's, you know, first of the month stock up, it's end of the month when we talk about the terrible twos and what's that value we can provide and, and you know, solution. That's, I know, John, one of your favorite words and mine as well is, you know, from a merchandising standpoint in store, there's an opportunity to, to make sure that that solution's there. We know circulars aren't as popular. So how is the shopper is walking the store and saying, how do I stretch my budget? Oh, you know, look at this display and, you know, uh, multiple package sizes, you know, um, not just not just the large packs, but going on, you know, different size families and making sure that there's the price point options on different proteins. And just, you know, as, you know, ground beef, you know, I, I, I would anticipate we're going to start to see, um, you know, the prices up. But however, it's still within the beef category, right, a, a better value than, than some of the more premium cuts. So I do think it's still a little early to really, you know, we're, we're just starting to see some of that impact. We know volume's hurting. Um, and, you know, but as, you know, some of that food service business that I think we all anticipated was going to pick up, it, you know, we'll kind of wait and see what, what ends up happening. Right. But I would, I would anticipate that that's going to, you know, kind of stick at retail based on being a better, a better value for the shopper. Don, as a producer and in beef, which is such an interesting category, because if we're talking at a dinner party, people are like, oh, beef's so expensive. But I know you've had tremendous success with some of your higher value programs. So what's your perspective in JBS's on the current state of, of beef inflation? Yeah, well, thanks, Jana. Um, you know, I think uh, uh, the, the beef inflation has, has in, in some regards, led the um, uh, led some of the uh, press uh, and in uh, the publicity, uh, we've kind of become the poster child for inflation in food, uh, somewhat unfairly. Uh, and so, you know, when we look at um, the price of beef uh, versus year ago, um, uh, in in the latest data you guys released, John, across all categories, beef doesn't even make the top twenty-five categories in terms of highest percentage increase. So. You know, we are in at about 12 and a half percent 
higher price um, than last year. Um, you know, we started to see price pressures and, and prices rise, um, you know, in, into the second quarter of 21. And, you know, we're, we're just now getting to that overlap. So, you know, we've looked at, um, uh, and I think you guys point out very well, trip frequency in March on meat was actually up 2% versus year ago. Uh, so, you know, everything we see indicates people are not going to slow down their consumption in meat and, and in particular in beef. Um, you know, we're looking at a, a, a very recent study from January where really only 4.7% of consumers plan to eat less beef because of a higher price, right? So that means 95% of consumers are planning to either eat more or the same. Um, and so, you know, whether it's beef or chicken or pork, as uh, America has shifted their meal occasions into the home, 80%, you know, of meals uh, are still being prepared in home. You know, meat is the anchor uh, of darn near every meal, whether it's pleasing your family or really good value for the money. When you look at the amount of nutrition that you're getting, um, you know, yeah, these prices are higher. But relative to the cost to get the same equivalent nutrition, meat is actually a value. And, um, you know, similarly, you know, beef consumers are telling us that uh, 80% of consumers say in January that beef is a good value for the money. Um, 78% say beef fits my budget. Um, so I think it really is it's become the anchor of all the cooking exploration and all the joyous occasions, the, the meal occasions that are happening in the home, you know, it's kind of breaking out of the ordinary and, you know, grilling a steak, uh, et cetera. Um, but, um, you know, I will say too, there's clearly the premiumization factor, right? And 40% of shoppers are looking for premium quality, fresh meat. Um, and so on those special occasions, when you're having friends or family over, or you want to impress your date, um, you, you're going to want to buy some prime beef, even though it's, you know, a very high price per pound. So occasion to occasion, you know, needs change. And as Heather said, there's so many different segments within these protein categories that afford you the opportunity to trade down, right, to get more value, whether it's going from a steak to a ground beef or exploring offal. Uh, as an opportunity to prepare new delicious dishes, you know, at an even lower price point. So it, there's there's uh, all kinds of opportunities there. We also, uh, Johnna, you've pointed out um, the the, the uh, super premium premium segments in fresh meat are really the only segments growing share. Um, so people are spending more dollars and moving their share into these premium segments. So um, I could go on and on, but we continue to be excited. The trip frequency is up. We're coming into a favorable overlap. Easter is later this year. So, you know, uh, people worried about the last few weeks when Easter kicks in, that's the beginning of grilling season. Um, we're still very bullish. And we've seen overall consumption for beef has uh, continued to grow, um, may have flattened out in 21 versus 20. Um, but with uh, 6% lower volume in the retail channel, uh, but explosive growth coming back from the, the, the restaurants, people continue to eat as much or more beef than they have uh, historically over the last five or six years. So John, you actually bring up a couple questions that I think I wanna to direct towards Heather. Um, and that is two different fronts. One of them, 
Um, and Heather, you spoke about this, Johnny, you spoke about this, all those meals being produced at home in a high inflation period. But John, you just totally um, triggered something. I just finished reading um, Jonah Berger's book, Contagious. And in it, he's talking about what happened during World War II and how, given the war in Europe, Americans were really encouraged to cook um, different cuts of meat, particularly awful, um, things like tripe and stuff. I don't see a lot of that occurring. Where does the inspiration come from for types, cuts, different types of cuts and different types of budget meals, aside from like that prime, throw it on the grill, you know, cut of beef? So Heather, um, I don't know if you want to take like the budget part of it or how, how does meat fit into my budget? Yeah, I think, um, well, even just hitting on, you know, the off-all conversation, um, a lot of that ends up, um, we definitely have, you know, different stores with different different merchandising methods, and some have, have more than others, but traditionally, it's been more of a either like ethnic channel or the value, right? So of low price options. So some of it is, you know, with trial, but then also supply. So if, you know, a lot of that's being exported and it's not available, um, some of that product requires more processing too. So with the challenges in, you know, meat plants, that may actually be an area that certain packers may have cut back on. Um, so a lot of it comes down to availability, but, you know, in terms of getting trial and, and, and what different retailers are carrying, that's, that's one of the challenges, but yes, I mean, stretching the, stretching the budget is definitely um, going to be a continued topic, but I, I love also just playing off of, of what John talked about with premium more is, you know, there's, as we head into grilling season, there's so much opportunity for, for the entertaining and for the celebrations and the gatherings that are going to be happening that haven't been happening, right? So really, it's it's just making sure that we don't completely shift this focus and that we continue to merchandise those items and have them for the shopper that's looking for them because there, there will continue to be that shopper, right? So um, that's looking to celebrate and spend. And I want to piggyback on that because I love that you're both hitting on these points. There really is, you know, we think about the meat department as this homogeneous, huge thing. And yes, to quote our dear friend, Anne-Marie Roarink, meat super powder power is variety. But what the last two now plus years did for America is start to lean into that variety. One of the things we studied in More Than Meets the Eye that we shared at that webinar in March was how there is this super heavy meat spender. And just as you'd guess, it is someone who's buying a lot of meat volume because they're feeding a larger amount of people in their home. But I think there's other segments that are occasion and interest-based. And if you think about almost every other part of the store, certainly the one that is the number two highest dollar generating department, you can't think of it as just playing to the masses. We really have a couple huge opportunities that the pandemic opened up. One is that the average American now buys 42 different cuts and kinds in a year. Pre-pandemic, the best I can estimate is that was probably like 25. Double! Double, near double amount of varieties, whether we're talking about awful or we're talking about pork ribs or we're talking about, to John's point, different cuts of steak versus just ribeye or leaning into something like a grass fed for either a health environment or a taste perspective. America's listening meat industry and we're voting with our dollars and we're voting in two ways. We're voting with what I'd call this experiential consumer, someone who feels very confident in their cooking skills and wants to know more about meat. 
Power of Meat every year for the last five have found a segment of the population that wants more education of meat. And guess what? That's a group that's trending younger and they're seeking and heavily engaged in places like TikTok and Instagram and influencers. Meat is an activity for them. Even if it's just them or their family, they are buying the really expensive grills and smoking their own meats and want to talk with someone who's knowledgeable. That is an awesome opportunity, especially in beef, but also in pork and even in Turkey, right? We're seeing people do some really creative things around Thanksgiving every year. Further, there's the difference between occasion and every day. And you guys know, if you're listening to this often, I also work a ton in the bakery throughout my career. And I now think the moment that's hitting meat with far more dollar potential is embracing the occasion. Just as both Heather and John have shared, we are entering what everyone in the meat industry knows as prime grilling season. But given that population has shifted to warmer climates, either part of the year or throughout the year, grilling can be 365. And the concept of grilling as the cornerstone of the gathering could be such a tremendous merchandising ideation with different options. And in some ways, it goes back to a really important central stat, which is the average American does not live with more than two to three people in their home. And yet the first thing many of our clients, not necessarily Heather and John, but many of our clients asked us when inflation started to tick up in Q4 was, should I shift to larger value pack? Should I have the individual unit size demonstrate that price per pound value? And the reality is, is no, because consumers are very concerned about waste. And what they're actually looking more for is package sizes that meet the occasion. So think about the option. One of my local uh, retailers here, Basha's, for example, merchandises three different types of proteins in a fajita, like a fajita party Piece. We've also seen some really creative things where plant-based is positioned next to beef burgers for the potential of them buying two different packages to serve both those who are not into meat, but also those who love it. And I think that both of those, all of those options are just like, that's like less than 1% of what we're really seeing. But imagine if both online and in-store, we really owned that meat is the anchor of the occasion and really celebrated that. I'd like to have you talk a little bit more about value and not just price value, Um, because what you're talking about, you know, you're talking about versatility um, and things like that. So what are some other opportunities to talk about the value of meat? You know, John, I'd love you to take that because I know that's been a heavy topic. You produce almost everything in the beef category. What are some of the ways that you're seeing with your research that value can be demonstrated? Yeah, I mean, I I think um, you, you know one of the important points here that you guys have have, have all mentioned is is the um, um, the the size, right? And so the individual portions and and in case ready uh, enables us to deliver now a ten ounce ribeye, a ten ounce strip, uh, smaller pieces that you know steak aficionados would be like, oh my gosh, that's way too small, way too thin, but. Thin cut ribeyes, thin cut strips, um, very easy to cook and prepare, but they're uh, for individual portions, for single or two person households. Um, and, and so being able to purchase really awesome fresh meat packaged freshly at the plant 
Um, you know, the meat's breaking down in its own juices, so it's even more tender. Um, but being able to uh, buy a single pack is a, is a great value. Another um, value driver is um, the ability for people to go online now. Over the last few years, an explosion of content around how to easily prepare all these different cuts, all the different recipes to incorporate them in um, has, has been phenomenal. And so, you know, if I'm a, a new offal consumer or I'm in the store and I quickly Google offal, you know, beef offal, boom, up pops all these wonderful ethnic recipes from all these different, you know, genres and, 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 and um, you know, meal opportunities. And so, you know, no matter what you buy, there's plenty of content out there to teach you how to cook it, to prepare it, and, and how to season it. Um, and, and so there's, there's you know, great value in that as well. Um, but, you know, for me, the, 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 the ultimate value in beef and consumers tell us this is, is the nutrition factor. And I know we talked about this the last time, but, you know, the nutritional benefits of beef, um, you know, yeah, everybody realizes you get a lot of protein. Um, you know, a lot of times the pieces of meat only have the abbreviated nutrition facts and they call out that they're, that they're it's a good source of iron. Um, but there's 10 essential vitamins and minerals that beef provides, right? And so the value for us is to con continue to focus on and communicate, extend that nutrition facts panel and let people know that a three ounce serving of beef delivers 41% of your daily value of B12, 25% of B3, 39% of daily requirements on zinc. Um, these are things that, you know, people spend a lot of money on uh, over in the uh, pharmaceuticals aisle to try to get. And if, if they were to realize that just eating, you know, a three or six ounce portion of beef delivers all these wonderful nutrients, right? So we've got to communicate those things to be able to um, uh, continue to drive value uh, with consumers. You know, it's so funny. You talk about the, the nutrients and how if people just eat better, um, we wouldn't need all the supplements. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think of beef and zinc as being, you know, tied together. So that's really interesting. One um, quick fun fact, just to piggyback on, on John is we have now had two different rounds of a survey among our household shopping population, primary shoppers, and even surprising to me, but true, we, more people in America are following a high protein or keto specific diet than vegans or vegetarians combined. This concept of protein is very popular right now. And I think as an industry, in addition to all the great benefits that we mentioned, but it is a huge part of the population that sees protein fueled diet. And for the most part, the meat industry has embraced it. I think consumers have actually embraced it better than we have. So that is a fun fact. And you are probably very fun at cocktail parties, throwing out like the conversation starters. Um, so Heather, I want to kind of circle back to you because you mentioned how some of these cuts, you know, even awful in particular, might be more of a, a strain on the processor because it takes more processing. And yet consumers are looking for more ease. You know, and Jana mentioned the fajita kits and stuff. So how much of that, how much of that, um, the recipe ready or the meal kits, how much of that is falling to the retailer? 
Yeah, from a from a labor standpoint, that's that's really an opportunity in terms of preparing those types of items. And that's something um, that, you know, we're focused on right now at AWG is how do we bring those solutions and have them ready, right? So John talked about, you know, prepackaged, you know, case ready meat, it would be the same ideas. As long as the quality's there and holds up, there's an opportunity to help the retailer solve for that. Um, but the whole, you know, going back to the value comment and something I'm very passionate about is just value added meat. Um, and that, you know, kind of goes, it contradicts the whole low price, right? You know, and that's where with inflation, shoppers are still looking for help, um, trying to get dinner on the table faster. How do we how do we help them solve that? And that is with, you know, marinated or smaller cuts, recipe ready, right? And just that will continue to be an opportunity as we know that the younger shopper interacts, you know, with those those as well. So as their budget grows and, and you know, as their families grow and, and they continue to look for those solutions, um, that's an area that, that I would predict is going to continue to grow and be an opportunity. So we talk about communicating value. Um, it's not just right. It's not just the low price. It's it's what is the value that it's bringing to the shopper, um, and so that's where those smaller cuts and easier, ready, closer closer to getting the meal on the table will continue to be an area of growth. Yeah, I really like that. That's an excellent addition to value. Um, so I want to also touch a little bit on meat alternatives because they have ridden a certain kind of a wave throughout the pandemic, and I'd like to get a sense of where they are now and how that plays in the overall meat case. The reality of alternatives, both in refrigerated and frozen, is they have a place. There is an important part that I think it's it's brought to the to the options. And you know, it's a billion dollar business in 21, 1.2 billion dollars. Where we're seeing the opportunity is in repeat. And so I think just like any good trend, especially one before, remember meat alternatives and many of the items that made shelf in 20 had already been green lighted well before we could say what coronavirus was. And because of that, then they were on shelf and then they were on shelf and a lot of people tried them in some cases because they were home more or honestly, some of the cuts they were looking for weren't there. But where we're not seeing it is the repeat rate. We're not seeing, we are seeing a above average for a new product churn of people who try and don't return. Now, that's solvable as we continue to demonstrate value through taste, through options, through new entrants. You know, there's been a proliferation in the back half of 21, as well as the beginning of this year, in poultry substitute and seafood substitute. So trying to do different things. We've also seen a lot more that are known ingredient based coming into the alternative space, but it's still different in meat alternatives than it is in dairy alternatives. In dairy alternatives, being able to say oat milk appeals not just to someone who's trying to askew animal protein, but someone who's also potentially lactose intolerant. So I think, you know, what we're seeing more in alternatives now is a focus on this flexitarian, someone who's trading in between meat and a more plant option, and also recognize that substitute isn't the only option to not eat meat. So I think there's still more work to be done on the marketing and innovation side, but I'm seeing it and I'm seeing it happen quickly. So I'd say the key takeaway is we as an industry can't just follow a trend and throw a bunch of Me Too items out there. We really have to anchor in what the consumer wants. But Heather and John, from your perspectives, what's your company's take right now on the alternative opportunity? 
It's when you think globally about the population growth that's going to happen right between now and 2050, another, you know, two and a half to three billion people will inhabit the planet. And um, there's only so much protein uh, that we can produce and raise. And and um, so there is absolutely a need for to feed the planet. Um, there's definitely a need for these plant based protein solutions um, that are going to be more and more important as time goes on. Um, but, um, you, you know, I would, I would say too, that, um, um, it, there's been a lot of press and a lot of PR. And if you think about, you know, plant-based is a $1 billion, um, dollars in sales and, and meat as, as you open Joan is 82 billion, right. Um, then, you know, we ought to be spending 1.5% of our time effort, uh, and, and marketing, uh, talking about plant-based, right. And spend the other, you know, 98 and a half percent talking about uh, meat, but that's okay. Uh, we're, we're used to talking about, um, uh, about plant-based. I agree with Jana. I think, you know, we're uh, almost half of all dryers of, of plant-based today um, have not uh, uh, came back and purchased again. So there is a taste gap. Um, we have a division in our company at JBS that's very focused on developing new high taste delivery products um, that, um, that, that can fill the bill and, and, and meet that need. So I think people, um, you know, are exploring. The problem is once you try something and it doesn't taste good, it's really hard to get those people back. Um, and so, um, I think it's going to be a balance. I think to your point, there's always going to be people looking to, you know, move into more of a flexitarian mode and look for other solutions. I'd say just eat more salad. That'd be fine. But if you want to eat some plant-based meat as well, that's great. So you've got to have that variety, you know, uh, you know, but balance it based on a space to sales kind of a mindset and realize that we're only talking about 2% of the total categories. And, and importantly, from a growth standpoint, right, the, the latest data from that the, the Anna Marie shared in Power of Meat, um, that, that billion dollars of plant-based sales are up 4% versus a year ago. You know, total beef, as an example, is up 1%. So, you know, the, the gap of 82 million to one, and really the growth pattern is, is becoming closer and closer um, I just think we have to balance it. There's a role for it. Longer term, it's a it's a global you know uh, opportunity to feed the world. Um, shorter term, because the other thing is here in the United States, we're so uh, blessed with the amount of meat and the assortment and all these great varieties that we're talking about here. Um, you know, it, it's 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 unbelievable. We've got such a great variety in front of us here that um, you know I think as as time goes on. Some of that variety will edge out into other parts of the world, but plant-based is going to have to play a much bigger role um, as population grows, especially in, you know, some of the third world developing countries, uh, which is where the most population growth is going to happen. I would just add, I think you did a really good job of I, some of the some of the comments I was going to make. You already did, so um, I would I agree with everything. I think just reiterating right the size, right, and making sure, like you said, there's a role, um, but that that we're we're not, you know changing our meat case to four feet of plant-based and then, you know, getting rid of other key items that that really matter, right? So balancing, just like you said, you know, is really important. And it'll be interesting to, to watch the evolution. And, you know, right now we've got some in produce, some in meat, where it actually, you know, ends up living 
flexitarian. We know that trend's continuing, especially when we look at that younger shopper and 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 what they're, you know, the percentage there versus versus the older shopper. And so as it evolves and and even from, you know, taking it back to recipe ready or or what is the what's the form? What's the right form um, to sell it in and, you know, not trying to replicate eating a steak, right? But more ingredient based, you know, the 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 meatballs, the grinds, etc. And and there is a place for it. And there's a shopper that is looking for it, but just making sure that it's in balance. So as we wrap up, I just wanted to recap a couple of the things that I heard from you today. And that is um, even though we're in a very highly inflationary period, we still have 40% of beef shoppers looking for those premium cuts. And we're also, as you mentioned, here we are right around Easter and Passover and moving into that big grilling season, um, that this is a huge occasion-based category. And um, people, it's very much ingrained in, in part of who we are as an American culture. So it's not going anywhere. anywhere. Um, the, the Jenna, as you mentioned, you know, meat superpower is variety, um, that people are buying more and different types of cuts um, 42, you mentioned, up from 25 pre-pandemic, which is incredible. And it includes that awful, which um, I am so clearly intrigued by. <laughs> um, and I really loved the conversation around value and how there's so many other elements to meet beyond price, you know, in terms of different cuts, all the nutrients that are packed in there, and especially um, Heather, I think the convenience, you know, the convenience of different cuts and um, uh, value added products. Um, of course, you know, we can't keep the plant based meats out of the conversation. Um, maybe we're giving them too much volume right now, um, outpacing the volume compared to what it really is in reality. But it is something to watch as it evolves. And I love that you're saying, let it find its own place, you know, its own flavor profile, its own unique um, attributes, instead of continually trying to just mock what already exists. So with that, I want to thank you all for your expertise. Again, encourage listeners to go and listen to um, More Than Meets the Eye webinar, and we will catch up again soon. Have a good day. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.